Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth, signing on to the sign-off of Frameworth Podcast for yet another week. It is the forum for all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing with a specific focus on collecting this week, and you'll find out why in just a moment. I am joined across the studio in lovely Toronto, Ontario, Canada, at Frameworth Headquarters. Can we call it headquarters, I ask, to Brian Aaronworth? call it whatever you want. <laughs> president of Frameworth Sports Marketing. What do you call it? Uh, home? Because you... My second home, yeah. Your second home. I'll probably spend more time here. I was going to say... Apart from when you're asleep, yeah, you definitely spend more time here. And in some cases, you pull a George Costanza and sleep under your desk, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been good. No, but I'm, I'm happy to have you back. You're just back from uh, some time at the cottage, obviously, yep. trying to get your time off. Uh, you That's how you work No, I was summer. dealing with all sorts of crap on Facebook all the time I was up there. So here, you know. here is a little bit of insight behind the scenes in the realm of uh, memorabilia as pertains to Frameworth Sports Marketing. I don't know that there are a ton of other memorabilia companies companies out there, large or small, that the president spends as much time filtering through, responding to, fielding questions from people on social media. We all know social media can be a bit of a headache sometimes. Uh, there were a couple uh, hiccups with with some of the, the processes we had over the long weekend. You spent most of your time up at the cottage responding to Facebook messages and putting some, some things in place to try to address some of the issues that had come up. Why do you do that to yourself? I don't know. I <laughs> Here's the thing. I like to get on board and I like to understand um, what our clients need. I uh, try and follow that, follow Facebook pages. That's the upside. It really gives me some insight as to how to move forward, what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right. The problem with it, of course, is Facebook trolls that just are brutal. Mm -hmm. And I take everything pretty personally. Mm -hmm. And so, and I have a hard time shutting it down. Yeah. So when I get a, a vicious comment that I feel is undeserved. Uh, personal attacks. Personal is when it attacks, starts to, which yeah. is what happens out there in every group. Mm -hmm. Some groups monitor it better than others. Then, then I do. And then I, then I can't, uh, I don't respond anymore. And then I don't sleep nights because I'm pissed <laughs> off and whatever. But anyway, you're not under your bed, under the table. And that's uh, exactly it. That's social media. That's what you have to deal with. But uh, yeah, in and among, there are some very positive remarks and some good constructive feedback that you can get. But you do have to weed through some of the more uh, uh, vicious uh, vitriol that you'll find on yes. there as well. Now, uh, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that has changed your perspective on dealing one on one with with the consumer and the end user and the collector was COVID. We had to turn more to an e-commerce platform and our guest today is, is no stranger to that and we're going to get into that in just a little bit. This week we're joined by a man who along with his dedicated team of organizers has been running the Sport Card Expo, Canada's largest sports collectible show for over five years now with over 200 dealers and 100,000 square feet of collectibles, trades, autograph signings and more. It's the true North Pole of the memorabilia world. Sound interesting? Well, you're in luck. If you're in the Toronto area, you can stop by the International Centre between June 2nd and June 5th this week, 2022, uh, tickets and info can be found at sportcardexpotoronto.com. And I should say that the June 2nd date is for VIPs only. How do you become a VIP? Well, there's only one way to find out. You got to go to sportcardexpotoronto.com and uh, and get all the information there as well as tickets. We're joined by Steve Menzies. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for being here and for the great introduction. Uh, you know what? I wrote the introduction. I was reading it and almost forgot to say your name at the end of it. <laughs> that's, that's not really the way you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, I was uh, like narcissist, just like stuck. <laughs> admiring my own introduction and forgot everything else. Um, that's the story of Narcissus, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, we're staring in a lake. Something about the internet, yeah. Say, mm, nope, no. definitely not. I don't think the internet existed back then. But uh, listen, I want to start, Steve, obviously as the organizer for, for this event. Um, let's just start bare bones. Give us an introduction to what you can expect this weekend or what, what your organization stands for and what it is you're trying to bring to the community. Yeah, as you say, I mean, the, the show is all things uh, in the hobby, collectibles, cards, mm-hmm. memorabilia, autographs, uh, the whole experience. Um, and it's, it, to your point, it's the, the biggest show in Canada by a long shot. In, in fact, it's the second biggest show in North America, okay. after, second only to the, the national um, that, that rotates each year. But to, so, and, and there's this once a year, we, we do this show twice a year. Right. Once at this, generally, we're in the early May and uh, in November around the Hall of Fame weekend. This year, a little bit later in June. But yeah, it is, to your point, it's over 200 dealers. And right. th- this year, it's even more. And we'll, we'll get to that. But, uh, um, and it's everything, guys, many guys that have done this show since its inception in 1991. Yeah. But, uh, and the biggest surprise for me, is, frankly, is how, much a part of their lives this is uh, the, our collectors our dealers and everything else and that's something i only really started to appreciate uh, through the pandemic was how how important this is to them as part of their community i can't wait to talk about the way the pandemic affected not just your business model but your relationships your the structure of your life as you mentioned yes the collectors have this as a touchstone twice a year uh they come from all over north america it's not just toronto um but they come and, and this is their chance to exhibit their wares and to build their community and to get in touch with old friends. And COVID did a lot to a lot of people. But, you know, not being able to physically do something that requires or people would have thought it required being physically at a certain location just really sent everyone for a loop. And you you made some changes there. And we will get into talking about how COVID shaped your business model and how you adapted. But before then, uh, I want to get to know for the listener a little bit more about you. Uh, people who know the expo, they know your name, but they may not know who you are. What is, let's start with this. What is your history with collecting and memorabilia? That'll be a short answer. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I, I've actually never been a collector. Um, I, I came to be uh, to running this show um, via, via a long and circuitous uh, path. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, but m- prior to uh, taking over the, the Sport Card Expo, I was running Fan Expo Canada, so okay. on the Comic Con space. Right, um, and you know, that market has been blowing up. Kind of preceded the, the growth in the in the hobby collectible but uh, so I was running Fan Expo, um, and one year when we had had to expand that. That event, uh, we took over both buildings of the downtown convention center, mm. and we felt that we needed an additional element to, uh, to that show. So we added uh, sports. And Aman Gupta, who was the founder of, of Fan Expo, got his start in in the space in the sports world. So that's how I got introduced to the sport, um, sport the sport card expo. Uh, we did some sports at Fan Expo. Interesting. And uh, yeah, and um, long story less long, we. Once Fan Expo was sold, I moved on. Um, the, the previous owner and the founder of, of Sport Card Expo, Al Sinclair, decided he wanted to sell. And I thought, yeah, this is good. I understand events. Um, but it was the same process for me. Before I started with Fan Expo, I don't think I'd ever read a comic book as a kid. Right, uh, right. I was, I was the kid that no, was out more playing. of a business venture as opposed to needing to know the the inside part of it. Right. Yeah. I've never come from the, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, but I've never come from the fan collector or fanboy uh, perspective. Sure. In, in many ways, I think that's helped me because I, I'm pretty objective and I don't get uh, caught up in, in, you know, the minute, not of the course, minute, but the other, the other elements. Yeah. So that's served me well. Uh, and, and frankly, if I can be you know, perfectly candid, I was probably a little judgmental of the whole collector approach initially more so on the, on the Comic-Con side. Yes. Just, I just, I didn't get it. Yeah. But uh, what I've, 
I, I, and this is probably again a, a lot of answers into one question, but um, I've really come to appreciate the, the commonality and then the passion that collectors have. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because I had a dedicated question uh, around that. I, you know, I, I hadn't realized the direct involvement or the almost almost like the inception of the idea of the Sport Card Expo came at Fan Expo. Uh, I didn't realize that, but I, I have always been fascinated walking the floor. You know, I've I've been involved in uh, through Frameworth in, in the expo for for quite a long time. Also, I am a, a fan of that nerd culture as right. well. Fan Expo is where I would be drawn, to be honest, more than more than Sport Card Expo, but. Walking even the Sport Card Expo in Toronto, you will find booths that are not just cards and memorabilia and game used items and this and that rarities, but you do have some of those comics. You do have vinyl collectibles, you uh, vinyl music as well. I last time I was there, I was buying records from mm. people. What do you think it is that kind of serves as the as 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 the the connector between? a uh, fanatic of, of sports and a fanatic of, of comics. Why is there that commonality there? Why can they coexist in the same space? Well, that's, that's in fact what I, what I look for as opposed to the differences. And, and again, back to that year, 2013 and for Fan Expo, when we had sports, there were a lot of people saying, oh my God, those two can never crash. Right. It's the nerds. It's jocks and nerds, jocks. right? That's yeah. what I thought. There's going to yeah. be slushies thrown on. The <laughs> 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 um, so there's pop culture references all over for this, but yeah. um, so it was more finding that commonality to your, to your point is uh what do they have in common? Sure. And that is, you know, yeah, they dress up. They admire their their heroes and, and their, their fans and, and the, the pieces of their, their lives that they celebrate. Yeah. And they, they celebrate that in groups. Um, and it's, it is a very social um, experience. And again, the internet was supposedly totally the death toll for... Um, for all things physical, right? People right. just thought, oh, we can just do this online. Why would we ever go to a convention to meet up? But yeah, the, the, not the case. Well, uh, it's eventually we'll talk about kind of the merging of those two mentalities, which it yeah. seems to be where we're at now. Uh, you know, continuously, yes, there was this move to digital media. I was very much on board with that because I was lazy. I didn't ever <laughs> want to have to get off my couch to change a a movie or something like that. But now I find myself wanting to play those things, and they go by the wayside. A service shuts down. You you can no longer access it. Having those physical media, pieces of physical media help. And I think that in sports, maybe you see it this way, maybe you don't. But the idea of collecting a piece of memorabilia is almost like making physical a memory of an event that you have, right? Yeah, I mean, what else yeah. would it be? You're commemorating yeah. it and you can touch it and feel it. Daryl Sittler's 10-point night, here's the frame. You can't recapture it apart from maybe watching a, a clip of it if you can find it. But you do have this physical piece of memorabilia. H has that sense of sentimentality and ownership over the things that you love, has that grown on you at all? Or have you maintained kind of a, a bit of distance from it? No, it definitely, it definitely has. I, I can appreciate it more for in, in others and I see it and I, I've, I've seen it grow for, for myself as well. I mean, this, this year is the big 50th anniversary of, uh, of the summits here. So right. uh, again, that brings me back. I mean, walking here into your showroom, I mean, seeing the, uh, you know, the gold yep. um, pieces and everything else is just, uh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of the experiences that I've had, even though I don't consider myself a, a fan or collector, uh, you, you guys were, uh, great enough to bring Bobby Orr to the, uh, to the event a few years back. Right. And Bobby Orr was my idol growing up. I had a pair of Bobby Orr skates when I played. And, oh, amazing. Uh, oh yeah. Um, so, so sports, sports, you were kind of maybe not fanatical in, in the extreme sense, but collecting though. Yeah. Versus. But you, you were, you were a fan of, oh, yeah. of sports. You could apply that yeah. logic. Whereas fan expo, the comics and stuff like that, you weren't as, as aware of that no, culture, I, but yeah, I didn't get it. I enjoy it. I mean, I, I enjoyed it and I started to enjoy it more. Um, but everyone has a, 
has a connection to it at some level. Right. And again, when you, your earlier question of uh, how do they connect or, or do they connect, there are a number of points where they do. And it, it's that everyone has uh, sport or athletic connections, whether that's the, directly or through their, their parents or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar, they do on the entertainment side, again, be it comics, movies, et cetera. So that's common. Um, you know, the, the financial side of things uh, where uh, dealers, whether you're bricks and mortar or online, um, it's no different than if you're a sports shop, you sell bikes in the summer and skis in the winter. Right. You know? Right. Uh, if you're a hobby shop, you've got all the elements of you know, selling sports cards and selling uh, comics and or entertainment cards, non-sports as the category is called. So, Do you ever find any reluctant crossover, the sports fan in the jersey that's kind of like ambling around the booths with the comic book stuff? And that's me. I'm always <laughs> like, I'm here for business. I'm here to sell sports memorabilia and provide this. And then I always end up going down those paths. Is that is that it's something that people- It's all, all the time. And yeah. it was a lot of anecdotal uh, fun stories about, uh, about that. I mean, I remember back to the 2013 Fan Expo where we had probably one of the best sporting uh, sport uh, guest lists that have ever been assembled. Do you remember who would have been there? Absolutely, I do. Yeah. Um, one of the, the coolest groups of experiences. So on the sports side, we had Joe Montana, okay, uh, Bobby Orr, Gordy Howe, Joe Sackick, um, uh, a young Connor McDavid, a 16-year-old Connor no McDavid way. was there, and he actually did a Q&A um, at one of the sessions. Um, uh, gosh, Willie Schumacher was there. Um Boy, um, is that Hulk here? I don't know. Um, and w- one of the greatest, the two two stories. I'll I'll get sure. To real quick. No, yeah. Um, one was uh, Montana wanted to walk around. He'd never been to a, a Comic Con, and he said, "Okay, can you get me a couple of security guys?" And said, "Joe, no offense, but you're not going to need it." He walked through an entire uh, the entire expo filled with probably eighty thousand people, and not one person stopped him to. Uh, Say, hey, you're Joe Montana. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know whether he was happy or offended if that were the case. But, uh, <laughs> it always seems like the kind of thing that you don't want to have happen. Like no. you don't want to be recognized. And then you're not recognized. You're like, wait a second. Yeah. You, you know don't know who I, who I am. <laughs> What's going on here? I literally, you just you can't play the celebrity card when you want it. Yes. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so how long have you been involved in in Expos? You mentioned the sale, which I'll, I'll talk about in a little bit yeah. for of Sports Card Expo. Sport Card Expo. That's when you, you kind of took over. But how long have you been doing trade shows? for? Well, I've been in the event business since, uh, gosh, since the l- late nineties. Yeah. Um, I was running and these were events that I was put on and in the category that I'm more interested in, or more athletic events, outdoor adventure based, that right. kind of thing. Um, whole other story, but through that, I did a, 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 a race that uh, Mark Burnett, uh, produced. Oh, really? Called the Eco Challenge. Yeah. Eco Challenge was Mark I Burnett's first yeah. foray. I didn't and realize that. It, yeah. I did the first ever Eco Challenge. It was back in 95. Was that televised? It was televised, yeah, on USA Network oh, wow. uh, back at the time. Like reality TV before? It was it was pre-reality. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I did that, and then I started working. I did a race series based on that, and uh, and then I started working doing work for Mark Burnett um, in the States. Uh, ended up doing uh, more and more events around that. Uh, and, in fact, um, going off topic a little bit, I... Uh, I was trying to create a, a model um, for Eco Challenge. I wanted to license the brand from him, essentially. Right. right. Um, much like, if you're familiar with it, much like the uh, Ironman Triathlon. Sure. Where they have a whole series of qualifying events around the world. Yes. That's what I wanted to create for Eco Challenge, um, and I just couldn't get his attention. I wasn't asking for any money. I wasn't. I was offering him money. Yeah. Um, and so I went met with him and his lawyer in in L.A. and. Uh, that's when he told me about Survivor. He was working on this show. He had something else. That's when Survivor yeah. broke, and of course, 
his life and then the whole world of television changed because that was the dawn of uh, the birth rather of uh, uh, of reality. Just television. finished forty two series forty two Survivor 42. last night. Wow, yeah. that's fascinating. Yeah. Let me use that as a jumping off point for this next question. Survivor season one was wildly different from Survivor season 42. You have people who just know the formula inside and out. They're students of Survivor. It is no longer, uh, I remember dad so specifically, uh, uh, Richard Hatch in the the first season of Survivor (laughs) made an alliance with someone. You were at work, pre-TiVo, we couldn't record it. And you said, what happened in Survivor? And I said, well, Richard formed an alliance with someone. And you said, is that even legal? Like it was so, so things have wow. changed and come so far from there. How have trade shows, what is, what is the, the thing you can point to to say, it'll never be like that again. It was wildly different. Is there anything or is it largely remained unchanged? Good question. And a lot of it is the same. I mean, the first time I ever went to look at the Sport Card Expo, I got to mm-hmm. be honest, I said, wow, is this, is this all there is? There's right. nothing to do here. And again, right. I'm not a collector, so I didn't understand that the content is the is the product, is yes. the experience. But with that said, and where I've put much of my focus uh, having since having taken over, is I would like to see uh, my show, the Sport Card Expo, and others like it, take a, a lesson from Comic-Con. Sure, you know, that's a far greater uh, experiential um, event than than are any right. of, the, of the shows. Even the national, which is still the Super Bowl of, of our hobby, uh, doesn't hold a candle to Comic Con. Uh, and what is what is the main difference? It's interactivity. It's, it's just the the yeah the depth of interactivity, the level of engagement. I mean, I understand that some of it is is economics based. Sure, but and the, the biggest thing that I always point to is the the model for uh, the celebrity guests. Yes. Um, at, uh, at a Comic-Con, every celebrity guest comes to appear at a Comic-Con, does a Q&A. Mm-hmm. They do photo ops. It's just it's just understood. Right. It's, it's part of their contracts, but it's also part of what everyone loves. and They want to hear those stories that Will Shatner wants to sure. tell uh, that have right. never been told before. They want to feel that and see that. And, and, and then, frankly, it works in everybody's best interest because after you sit and listen to him talk for 45 minutes, you want to go and buy a photo op or you want to get your, uh, an autograph. So. Right. That piece, and it's just more that isn't just transactional. There's more right. experiences that are are true experiences, as opposed to hey, how much for that? Well, it seems it seems like you've made good progress in in bringing some of that to it. It was 2016, I think, that you that you yep, took over right. Sport Card Expo. From then, I mean, we we know that we got involved. Frameworth did in the in the initial goings with like the autograph pavilion, yes. for example. You know, bringing in athletes with the express purpose of set times during the day. Here are signings that you go to. I know you've you've added some Q and As. There was a main stage and all that. Is it possible that? Comic-Con and Fan Expo have just existed so much longer in their forms that it took people time to realize that's what was necessary? Or do you think it's just that the people who are going to things like Comic-Con are often actors and writers and that by nature is more performative? Is that more of what it is? That is a great point and you're absolutely right that uh, they feel more comfortable. I I often say you take the helmet off a hockey player and it's a different person. Yeah, yeah. It's it's more, they can't just speak in cliches and we're going to do our best, we're going to give it our all. Exactly. But that's that's a very critical point that combined with the just the uh, the financial structure of how deals are typically sure. done where it's a you know signing per piece etc versus uh, building it in but again I'd like to I'd like to see that move more in that direction well you Definitely. Steve was always instrumental I remember when we did the first uh, autograph pavilion and um, your first question to me can we get some of these guys on stage I'd like to get them up there doing Q and A's right. and my response at the time knowing the players that I'm I'm mm-hmm. dealing with was I don't know if they're going to do that. Sure. Um, certain guys 
like an Eddie Shack or some of the, right. the alumni guys, they're happy to get up there. The wrestlers, they, they like to perform the and that yep. mm-hmm. ties in with your actor thing. And Eddie was the entertainer. Your actor thing. That was the most like dad thing to say, like, <laughs> how's your actor thing going out in LA? Mike? You're like, I got a bit. It was a commercial for baby formula. I don't know. Was, yeah. Um, but, but Steve was instrumental in trying to, it, he put up a stage and then you actually, you hosted a, a yep. Q and yeah. a few times. Yeah. And um, so, and I think the people didn't even know to go sit down and be ready for it at the <laughs> time, right? right? They right. do a Q and A, and I'd be looking around. Where are the people? And as time went on, they understood that at one o'clock, so and so is going to be up there on stage, and 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 then eBay yeah. and and auctioning things, and became more interactive. That stage took took a much bigger role. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It's a commitment that I've made, and it's not it's not inexpensive, but it's also one that I think is is better for for everybody that experiences it. And I re- remember the the first Q and A that we did. It was similar to that. It was with Bobby Hall, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, the room was quite big. I, I was probably a bit aggressive in terms of how many seats sure. that I thought would because sure. to your point, right. it was it was a bit removed physically, but then people weren't accustomed to it. So I was you know, saying my staff get get people up here so they can sit and and, and you know, listen to it and enjoy it but bobby was so spectacular and you guys know oh, bobby very well. yeah. he's one of the best storytellers I, I always say that bobby gives probably the best fan experience of of anybody yeah. that's out there um, <laughs> and the stories he told uh, were just outstanding and bobby was my dad's favorite player so oh. that was a real and saying that here with you guys is you know gives me a little goosebumps because you know my dad would never have been able to meet him but uh, oh yeah um right. so it was it was phenomenal so that from that point on i was kind of committed to this uh, and i think it's been a great addition bobby hall uh, being well one there's so many great experiences and stories some are a lot better to hear when you're in private than sure. uh, like in public. <laughs> no uh, doubt. but but the but i remember I mean, he causes all sorts of problems too, right. because if he, if he's one of the last signings of the day, yes, you're not going home. Yeah. You're, he, they're not closing the building no. until he signed every autograph and he's not rushing anything. No. I remember sitting there going, Bobby, you got to get going. I mean, it, it's five o'clock or whatever the time we're closing and he's still got a line up in front of him and there's no way he's rushing anybody through there. And so they literally have to keep the building open until he finishes signing and he's not doing it because he's given an experience. Well, yeah. if you, if you're, if you haven't been to an expo, which by the way, absolutely go check out the website. And if you're in Toronto, you should, you should check it out as well. There will be some signings as well. If you're out there listening, um, sometimes you'll have an athlete who, who's there and they, they, you know, everyone is a good sport. They'll do this. They'll shake your hand. They'll say hi. They'll sign the thing, this and that move on. Every so often you do get a Bobby Hall type that goes above and beyond that mm-hmm. takes not yeah. just the 30 seconds that takes two minutes with everyone. Yeah. And at that point, it's almost to the chagrin of the people organizing. When we were doing the autograph oh. pavilion and you need to move certain people through, we have a schedule. Someone else needs to be sitting in that seat yeah. in half an hour and no one's moved through the line. And now all of a sudden you have, People in the lineup, understandably frustrated because they haven't gotten to see Bobby or whomever, uh, getting mad at me as the organizer because they're not getting there. We may have to cut the line off. And yet when it comes their turn to go say hi to Bobby, they want to take as much time as they can get. It's human nature, right? You want to get up there, but not realizing that there are these logistical 
I hesitate to call them nightmares, but I'll call them nightmares oh, that you have to deal with. And I'm sure you have your fair share Absolutely. of those. Absolutely. And Bobby is kind of the, the reference point that will say, well, we, we need a fourth signing station yes. in case we get a Bobby. Exactly. You know, we'll often say it in, right. in that context. So. Do you have any other, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, bad situations or anything, but anything that stands out, you mentioned Bobby Hall and, and the reverence that you have towards him and that your father had towards him. Are there any other signings or people that you've had that really stood out for good or bad? Uh, if it's bad, you don't have to name no, them. No, no, <laughs> listen, uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the best one was, again, honestly, it was in this building. It was with uh, Guy Lafleur. I, oh, I grew right. up a Canadians fan. And so uh, I got to stand uh, back here with, uh, with Guy for 10 or 15 minutes. He told me the most incredible stories, you know, that, that you've, you've yeah. Well, both heard, but uh, the time that they stole the cup out of uh, uh, Blake's uh, trunk of the car and <laughs> he woke up from a neighbor's phone call on a Sunday morning with it in his pool. And, you know, so that was that was outstanding for me. And of Amazing. course, we lost Guy just recently. And yeah. uh, so, uh, again, very, very um, poignant and, uh, and timely. But, yeah, that was a great experience. Um, another we, another guy we lost uh, not too long ago, Mike Bossy. Um, I remember that as one of the strangest moments at an oh, expo yes. I've had because oh, yeah. it was we had a signing yeah. with him planned and the weather in Toronto out of nowhere got so bad that the ceiling of the expo of the international yeah. center the hall that we were in peeled off yeah there was there was rain coming in there was water it was dark it was windy in spite of that Mike Bossy is sitting on the tarmac waiting for the flight from Montreal to take off so that he could make the signing. I think it was supposed to be in an hour. We told everyone. I was literally standing there to the line of a people pointing up to a <laughs> hole in the roof saying, guys, I don't know that this is going to happen. We're going to delay it an hour, but he's on the tarmac. I can't imagine it's going to take off. And 99% of the people in the line totally understood. They were totally fine. But there was the odd person oh. who thought that maybe I could change the weather <laughs> and fly him to Toronto myself. That was, that was, uh, yeah, some people situation. are just, I mean, 90% of 95% of the people are just amazing because yeah. we've had other situations at the show. I remember Norm Ullman, mm. All right, uh, a yeah. senior citizen, yeah. uh, came to the show, contracted him for an hour and a half, I think. He gets to 45 minutes and he hit a wall. Can't yeah. do this anymore. Yeah. Like he wasn't used to it. Right. And right. at his age, it was really tough on him. Yeah. And he just, I, I said, no problem, Norm. I'm not taking any no, chances on yeah, the players. Yeah. You look after the players. We'll get you out of here. Can I get you a drink of water? We'll take you aside. And there's 50 people still mm -hmm. in line that have paid for their tickets. Now you got to go to everybody and say, look, guys. Got to refund your money. I'll try and make it up to you in other ways. Mm. We can get them to sign something at a later date and give it to you, whatever you want to do. And most of the I said, what do you want me to do? The guy's in his 80s or whatever it was at the time. And some people are great. And they go, no problem. We totally understand. Mm -hmm. We're fans of his. We want him to be looked after. Yeah. And then you're going to get the odd person that said, I'm going to sue you. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You go, really? And, and I like to summarize it. I just say, look, passion is great, but it does cut both ways. It does. Know, so, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, yeah, that's tough. But yeah, that that, that expo was a, was an interesting one. We literally blew the roof off. Blew the <laughs> roof off of the place. And it exactly. was interesting because it, I remember now as you tell that story, there was a point where the sun was coming out and, and there was a piece of insulation like pinkish insulation yes. 
that had uh, fallen, uh, not fallen, it was hanging. And the way the sun hit it, somebody looked up and yelled fire. Fire! Yes. I remember that. Yes. Oh, I do wow. remember and, that. You know, think about it. I mean, there were so many things that could have gone wrong with that. Thankfully, if, if yeah, I can be thankful, there was, it was at the back of the hall where the autograph pavilion right. was. But could you imagine if that had been over the millions of dollars worth of card inventory oh, and so on, the oh, irreplaceable wow. card inventory. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it all worked out. And yeah. uh, no, it was. <laughs> we, they had a fix by the next morning. Yeah, it was, it was very I, I was I was up that, that whole night ensuring that they had people on the roof and uh um, yeah, it was. Now I've got to, you know, let's let's talk kind of strictly the way in which you've been working with the expo over the years. The the sponsors that you we mentioned, you know, Frameworth had been working with with the the Sparkard Expo for a long time, running the Autograph Pavilion. We we do have booths there as well. But you've been working with companies like Upper Deck uh, lately, especially especially it seems this time around. You've got new companies like Drip, sponsor of the VIP night, uh, whatnot, Mint Inc for the trade night. And it, yeah. it seems that there's a much heavier focus on these companies coming in, you know, Upper Deck being more of a traditional memorabilia company, trading card company. These other companies are coming in with much more of a web platform. Uh, Drip being a company that focuses on, as the kids call it, ripping packs, right? Like, like opening up packs yeah. with cameras and all that. Has that influenced or changed your business model at ever? Are you seeking new companies like this out? Or is it just that the industry and the landscape is changing such that those are the companies who are now looking to sponsor the, the program? It's a bit of a combination of both. And I'll back up a little bit on answering that. So my background is on uh, sponsorship and sports mm -hmm. marketing. So um, that was something I naturally gravitate towards. I'm, you know, I've had good, good fortune and good experience with that. So I really want to have more of the endemic hobby companies there. Right. And so Upper Deck, given you know their their involvement for obviously in, in hockey, has always been a no brainer for them sure. to, to be engaged. Uh, I'm trying to get more of the the more traditional companies, but. Um, you know, through the pandemic, obviously the hobby exploded. Yeah, and the, not only just the size of it, but the way it, the way the hobby Saddled, is yeah. transacted. And it has been for the last ten years with eBay. Mm -hmm. You know, eBay has really kind of revolutionized the hobby, and and they've become you know a great and, and lead partner for me in the show, and have helped revolutionize how people buy and sell, um, but also reinforce the way in which. Um, uh, the show gets uh, structured as well as the you know the the, the transaction sure so sure more and more people buy and sell that way uh, but it's been a it's been a great addition to the the platform this this year to your point we have a lot more uh, and it's endemic companies and companies that are also new to the hobby right um, so part of that growth has been fueled by um, a lot of new investors mm -hmm. when I say investors it could be collectors that buy for passion as sure. well as investors that that buy for, for returns. So right. you're seeing uh, companies like Liquid Marketplace. It's a Canadian-based fractional ownership company along the lines of Collectible, Rally Road, and so on that have existed in the U.S. So a really neat trend in the hobby. So they're, so they're engaged. The The alternative um, selling platforms, the specialized platforms are coming in. Uh, mm -hmm. Whatnot and Drip, yep. the ones you mentioned, for example. Um, the grading companies are all coming up in a big way because of the growth in which ties in, frankly, to e-commerce, because as people are transacting online more, it's a, there's a much bigger emphasis and requirement for authentication and, sure. and grading so that sure. you know what you're buying, you get what you th think you're buying, et cetera. We have six grading companies that will be at the Expo this weekend. Six? Six. Wow. Yeah. Uh, PSA, Beckett, uh, CSG, SGC, Mint, and KSA wow. will all be there. Uh, and JSA doing authentication, uh, Beckett Beck Authentication Services doing authentication. So uh, all this is is indicative of the way in which the hobby has grown. Right. And then many of the dealers are really upping their game. You've got a lot of new dealers like Mint Inc. that are just blowing it up. They're spending 
they have platforms on on all they have a presence rather on all those platforms right and you know they're just doing a, a much better job of online and in-person retailing um, so many and traditional dealers are, are making a much bigger investment in their on the floor presence right they're making their booth look better they're engaging more um, it's, 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 stream it's, breaks and- it's fascinating to me that, uh, you know, companies that have such an online presence still know that at the core of this passion is physical collections, right? Like yeah. obviously they're, you know, you're grading physical items and it's physical products being sold, but you gotta be there. You gotta boots on the ground. You have to make your presence known. It isn't just a matter of search engine optimization for these people. And I know that will have a lot to do with it, but at a certain point you need to be seen next to the big players in the industry and all the big players still yeah. know you got to go to the sport card you, expo. You have to do that. And collectors want that experience. It, it is a very immersive tactile experience where right. they still want to look at and see, see and, and even smell the, yeah, you know, right. the environment. Yeah. Um, so, and that environment can smell it can. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially by that place that sells those uh, hot sausages. Oh, yeah. oh that's yeah. the hell yeah. Every that's... year I grab some of those. Yeah. I don't know if it's sports related, but I make a purchase every year. I, I There there are some famous food store foodstuffs that you got to stop by when you're at the expo all the yeah. time as well. By the way, the Frameworth booth, if you're making your way down there, is right by the uh, the, the the cafeteria there, the permanent food structure. It is. I, I'm not going to say I was the one who chose where our booths were going to go, uh, but I do get hungry pretty easily and I don't like to walk very far. So, <laughs> um, you, you, you know, you mentioned the way that the industry is kind of changing, uh, about how the, the industry changed, especially over COVID. Now, yeah. who would have guessed that COVID shuts us all in and we assume that there's going to be an economic uh, breakdown and yet we all decide to invest in physical, invest in collecting the collectibles mm. world yeah. changed potentially I mean, definitely for the better, but grew exponentially over that time. Your business model and your life similarly had to change over that time as well. How far along were you in the planning of the next physical in-person expo when when COVID shut things down? And what did you do to uh, pivot? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was everything was in place. Uh, I mean, I was a late believer sure. <laughs> in COVID, or I was a denier. Yeah, like, oh, this is a bad cold. We'll be yeah, over yeah, exactly. by, by May, exactly. and uh, so uh, yeah, I was late to the party in that sense. My magazines are printed. Mm-hmm. I've got. I probably still have fifty thousand um, of the, sh- the show magazines yes. that I yes. do. In fact, Jagger was supposed to be the headline guest at that one. Oh, so with it with him on the cover, so I might just get him to sign a few <laughs> of those posters. So those were all printed. We were ready to go. Um, yeah, and then yeah, this is not happening. Um, and I again, I was reluctant to. to, to to accept that, all right, it'll be over by November for mm-hmm. sure. We can we can start working on that. And right. Just, so there were a lot of things that happened. I mean, with, but it literally it was a dead stop for me. Yeah. Um, it, most of my dealers were great. Just 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 roll my deposit forward into next. Sure. Year. Some didn't want that, but uh, so that that was that was an eye opener for me to be sure. <laughs> um, but you know, very quickly, and, and one of the great guys that I work with. Um, just started to think he's a bit more, a lot more uh, tech savvy and just uh, uh, had been working in the rest of the events he does with a, a virtual platform. Virtual, how can we have a, a, an event like this online? Right. But we did it. We, we, we created an event online. And again, I always look to my dealers as my first customer, if you mm-hmm. will, They're my primary customer. They are, uh, they are the indication of the hobby. They are the representation of the hobby. And sorry, just, just to clarify dealer, if you're out there listening, would be the people oh, who are yeah. actually <laughs> buying booths to, to yes. set up shops at, at yeah. the expos. Yeah. So they're my, my primary customer in that 
if if I do something that's good for them, they'll you know that typically bodes well for the collectors and the int- attendees. So my my primary focus for the virtual show was it has to work for dealers. It right. has to give the dealers what they're lacking now, and that's the opportunity to buy and sell. I didn't want to yeah. just do you know a, a nice webcast or something that was uh, you know content just through content based and um, like watching an online event. Right. So that required that we pick a, a, a certain platform that would, would allow that. And, sure. And that's what made it successful, frankly. It was unique. There were some other great shows that I couldn't compete with. I'm not a, I'm not a content guy. I, sure. I don't like being on air. Sure. I'm not, I don't consider myself a Could have mentioned that before it. we booked this <laughs> yeah. uh, interview. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, um, that was my primary focus and it, it really allowed me to, to create a unique property. Right. So dealers were able to have, uh, a virtual booth where they could sit as we're doing now and, and showcase whether it be in their living room, their store or whatever, they could showcase the product they were selling right. and literally have your know, video live video conversations with, Hey, how much for the, uh, the tops, uh, rookie Gretzky or what have you, or this set. And they could showcase things. Um, again, Frameworth did an exceptional job of creating really engaging content. I mean, uh, you guys set records for the number of, of, people in your booth and the uh, amount of engagements and so on you were doing online auctions or live auctions yeah. and so on with really engaging staff. So, um, you know, sort of fast forwarding, I ended up doing three of those. I, in total, we had just over 10,000 people attend the, the three virtual shows, 50% of which had never been to one of my in-person shows. So it was great from that perspective. Um, it, it, in that it allowed me to grow my database, grow the awareness of, of the sport card expo brand. Right. Um, it really cemented and solidified my relationship with eBay because obviously sure. that was a platform. That's where they live. Yes. And so the, the commerce wasn't necessarily always done on eBay. You could transact through your own website, et cetera. Um, and we've been tremendous partners since that. So uh, it wasn't a, a money-making proposition for me, but it was absolutely a, a great brand build. It forced me to do a deeper dive into all aspects of the hobby that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise. So right. I, I worked on the business as opposed to in the business, and you guys would absolutely understand that. Um, and, and I started to do to do more analysis of collector behavior so I could understand how, how can I better serve where are there are opportunities for me. So some interesting things that I did in that sense. I, it's fascinating that you say that, that it wasn't uh, as much done for a moneymaker, but also just relationship maintenance. You know, yep. you can't say exactly. no, you need to give people something that's yep. got it that, you know, they're expecting two things a year and, and you're giving them something. It was, it was fascinating yep. to take part of, you know, we, we had a limited operation running during the pandemic, especially early going. We set up the booth here at the Frameworth showroom and had people sitting in front of the camera, spinning wheels, doing auctions. Yep. And it was great. And, and, Again, I think one of the most important things coming out of that experience, and I'm sure you'll agree, was was recognizing that just because you have to do things online doesn't mean it's necessarily worse. There are elements to that that you can bring to business moving forward, uh, and that probably has a lot to do with some of the sponsors who are coming on board, recognizing that people are now getting more comfortable and familiar with an e-commerce platform in all of its various forms, because probably, you know, I'll look, I'll look to you, Dad, for example, someone who definitely had uh, uh, a little bit of a fear, I would say, of, of doing those sorts of online interactions and shopping, and then look, the pandemic happens, you got to do it. There is no, there's no other way around it. We forced everyone to get a level of comfort with Mm. working online and living in that space. Yeah, especially for dinosaurs like me that like, (laughs) like, I getting online and buying stuff. Now I'm on Amazon. It's 
piece of cake, but first getting there, the fear of doing all that. I I still think though that um, I get bored one day and I'll get in the car and I'll go to a Home Depot and just walk the aisles and I'll find something that I want to buy just just because I want to physically be there. And And I think you extrapolate that into the card show. You got to be at the card show. It's just so interesting. I'm there four days. and I don't need to be there. I got staff to do that, but I just, I'll walk the aisles and the next day I'll walk the aisles the same way again. Cause you see things, one thing one day and you miss it the next day and you get, so it's, it's worth definitely going to the show. There's just so much to see yep. and be physically there. You yep. can get a lot of that stuff online, but this is a great experience. You can, but there are things that you don't expect to see that, that are new. Sure. That are, right. And you know, scarcity is a big deal, but uh, you'll need more than, than a single day this year as well, because uh, you, you mentioned it in your reduction. But so this is the biggest expo that I've ever done. Right. Um, you know, in November, we were uh, forced because of COVID to be in a different hall. Sure. And I, then the show's tip, the show had been in that hall since, since inception. Um, so, in a way, I was looking forward to that because it allowed me to, to shake up the floor plan, do things a little differently. Um, There's some pros and cons to it. Uh, for this show, we're, again, we weren't able to be in the, the hall that we're generally in. So we're in a new hall, hall number two. Uh, it's the, the single biggest hall that the venue has. Mm. Uh, so it's an extra extra uh, 25% bigger. Wow. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're, we're sold out. So sold I was going to say the so. website indicates booths are all sold out. Yeah. So you had that much demand yeah. still. Well, again, I, I was sold out in, in November, but I was really reluctant to just add more uh, booths and, and right. dealers unless I knew there was going to be more, uh, more of course. attendees. Uh, well, we were really pleasantly surprised after the last show mm-hmm. because we were hesitant because coming out of COVID, would there yeah. be nobody there? Right. Plus, because there was still the COVID scare. Yeah. And so are people going to come? Are they coming with masks? Are right. they going to, how is all that going to work? And so we, we downsized a little, mm-hmm. yeah. um, cause we've been a supporter of this show and, uh, for many, many years. Um, and, uh, we were disappointed that we did because <laughs> it was hugely successful yeah. jam packed with people. And so now we we're back to four booths now. So, and also I I'm excited for this year because I was still definitely a little bit nervous about the idea of COVID back, you know, I, you know, not that it's completely off our radar, but, but that was the first big crowd that I was in last November. Uh, like Barn, that was by far the most number of people that were around had your masks on and this and that, but things have changed quite a bit in terms of our, our perspective and some of the requirements around COVID. I'm assuming that's made your life probably a lot easier in terms of. The oh yeah. We had, I mean, November was, it was a lot of work to have uh, vaccination uh, checking yes. and then, you know, enforcing all of that and so on. Uh, but again, to, uh, Brian, your, your experience with Frameworth was the same that I had from everybody. It's the first show that I've done where a dealer didn't complain. Right. Every single right. dealer said, um, said it was a great show. Many of them said it was their best show ever. Yeah, we had um, low expectations and it far exceeded yeah. some of our best yeah, expectations. No, it was, and it the was, good news for me was everybody was wearing masks. So when I forgot somebody's name, I had an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't recognize you with the mask on. No, it's me. I just didn't have to trim my mustache, which is great. I just got it rolled out and it was nothing like, like nothing. Um, yeah. How many are you finding that, you know, cause you, you talk about how there's, uh, it was some people's best expo, which mm-hmm. you would think maybe it takes some time to ramp up. But part of me is considering the fact that there is a finite amount of memorabilia out there, cards, frames, would, uh, game used equipment, et cetera, et cetera. Clearly, and I'm sure you, you'll, you'll, you'll attest to this, 
the industry has grown the number of collectors have grown. You've said the number of dealers seems to have grown as well. Do you think it's just kind of the fact that like, of course you're going to sell more and sell for more because uh, there are more people out there and the same amount of product. Is that kind of what's driving the prices up or is it just an increased interest? It's a combination of, of both. Um, you know, there, there are definitely a lot more what I'll call institutional investors. And again, the more people with money are being drawn to the sport as right. uh, to the uh, the hobby um, as more and more awareness. You know, as you get you know the two and three million dollar mantles, as you get the four million dollar Gretzky right. rookie, that that uh, that reverberates into the into the mainstream sure. uh, culture. That wow, something's going on here. How do yeah. we get, become part of that? Athletes are wanting a bigger part of their own. Um, experience and whether that's controlling their own collectibles um, or, or just being, and again, the Fanatics uh, announcement uh, where they've taken over the licenses of uh, of the three other uh, sports with yes. football, baseball, and, uh, and basketball is changing the landscape dramatically. So there are a lot of big seismic shifts in the, in the space that are happening. Um, People are attracted to money, it turns out. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at the, at the core of it is still the collector and any true collector will say, um, what, the, what drives them first is, do I want to have this in my possession if it, if it hits the fan and the volume, the values drop? Uh, to, to, so that's what, that's kind of the, the yardstick that many people right. will use to decide, do I buy this or not? Um, but yeah, those, those values have only, only increased. They in seem the, to be going up. And that kind yeah. of brings me to a question. We, we do have to sort of wrap up because uh, uh, the listener may not realize this, but Steve, you are on your way back to the venue. We we're yeah. recording this a day <laughs> prior to the VIP night opening so, up on yeah. the, on the, on the Thursday or two days prior. Um, uh, so, so quick turnaround, but the, the last question I kind of want to get into is this idea, like everything is changing. It's always been changing. And you seem to be on the forefront of, of that change and embracing it, whereas a lot of people kind of shy away from it. You went to the virtual expo where I think a lot of people would have just raised their hands up and said, we're going to take a break for a little while. Where do you see and how are you prepared to adapt to the changing landscape of NFTs? Kind of the antithesis to the physical medium in some ways. Are you planning on incorporating some of that to the expo, allowing for it, advertising it, asking for sponsors who are involved in that space? What what is your what is your your thinking there? Yeah, there's a, a couple of things that I I kind of use as my gauge on on how to approach things. So, um, as I developed this sort of personal slogan at Fan Expo. In initially, I used to say, "All right, I don't get it, but mm-hmm. I'll take it." Yeah, sure. <laughs> right. It was I don't understand it. But okay, I can accept it. Yes. And uh, all right, how, how do I support and, and embrace that? Um, NFTs are very similar for me. I don't get it. I don't. I mean, I understand it, sure. but I don't get it. It sure. doesn't appeal to me. Um, but w- one of the things that I saw with the virtual show is that a lot of the guys who are, we, we all know, I mean, the, the, the typical um, dealer is an older white guy. Um, and I, I expected a lot of resistance to virtual. And there were some that just right. said, yeah, this isn't me. I, I can't do it. But there are many and some that surprised me and said, yeah, I, I embrace it. I'm going to fish where the fish are. Right. You know, I'll, right. I'll do what I need to do. Um, and the experience that they have, the knowledge they have, the collections they have, people will find them. Sure. And it's just more about adapting. It's, it's no different than a, a website used to be you we used to have brochures and so on but a website is just a different embodiment of the same of the right. same as long thing. as the collectors are willing to click a link as opposed to open a pamphlet yeah. so you're you're and kind of you're, you're ready and and waiting and willing to accept it if it comes your yeah. way yeah you, you got to yeah. play where you're comfortable and yeah. uh, and similarly so I, I, I could write a book about what I don't know about the hobby, sure. but what I, what I rely about, I just don't know where to start. Uh, what, what I rely on is p- 
people on on my team or that I, that I listen to. So I, I try to be really good at listening. Um, you know, I know what I don't know now, and I'll ask dealers all the time, "Hey, what do you think about this?" I've got kind of a, a core of people that I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, yeah. I'll reach out. Good to. time to shout out Mikey. Mikey, one of my one of my good friends who yes. works with you as well. Yeah, uh, uh, a lot of experience as well in the in the convention space, yeah. uh, and a nerd just like myself. So he uh, is, you know. and 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 it, it's been really great. And and to that point, there, there's a, a story I didn't get to tell. My, my yeah. second greatest oh, experience yes. uh, with the 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 Fan Expo show that had the sports element. Uh, we were sitting in the green room. And uh, I was sitting, having a break, and uh, and and Gordy uh, Gordy Howe came mm-hmm. in uh, with I can't remember if it was Mark or Marty, but they sat him down. I got I got to meet him, shake his hand, and everything else. Uh, we were sitting for a few minutes, and then Bobby Orr comes in, which you know was wow. pretty pretty incredible. Uh, so Bobby is talking to to Gordy, uh, and then Alice Cooper comes in, and of course wow. Alice is uh, um, I'll call him uh, he is a another Detroit native and. Yeah. Uh, he and Gordy go way back, uh, and Alice is a scratch golfer. Uh, golf's, really? Ev- oh, yeah. Golf's yeah, yeah. every day. Really big Callaway. Very, very. Yeah. Didn't know that. Oh, yeah. He's a phenomenal golfer and just a, a great person. I mean, his his uh, rock and roll persona was exactly that for him. Sure. It was a, a costume he pulled on. But he was telling stories about, uh, you know, um, all of his experience on the on the, the rock and roll side. Um, and then who came in? Oh, there and so there were other celebrities milling around in the, in the green room. There were a couple of guys from The Walking Dead that were there, and I recall... Uh, Marty Brodeur came in. Um, yeah, there was another guest I neglected to mention. <laughs> he came over and he was sitting at our table and his his agent came over and said to me, hey, can you introduce Marty to, I can't remember if it was Norman Reedus Norman or one Reedus of the guys. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. said, Marty's a really big fan. So you had this true integration of celebrities and, uh, oh, wow. and the entertainers that were connecting. And that was kind of the, the embodiment of what we were trying to create. But it was just such a cool experience to walk around. Yeah. And yeah, the other piece... My wife actually had come in during all this was was going on, and uh, Hulk came in. Hulk Hogan was there as well. He came in, and my wife um, uh, is a, is a singer and uh, acted for a while. Sure. And uh, while she was living in L.A., uh, she had actually gone out for a, a tryout for a women's wrestling league. Oh no so way! She was a huge wrestling yeah. wrestling fan and Star Trek fan, so she got to meet Hulk. So that was just that, that whole collage if you will that of, is uh, the ideal petri dish uh <laughs> oh, of an yeah. experiment you want to run at, yeah. at the sport card expo yeah, right. uh that's fa- that's fascinating yeah. uh love stories like that and i love one of my favorite things about working in this industry is when you get to see that sort of cross admiration between Absolutely. uh genres uh, you know uh, uh, an artist who likes a hockey player or vice versa that sort of thing always yeah. goes a long way well look steve i know you got a lot on your plate i know you got to run out and make sure everything's running smoothly but anything else uh you want to send people towards i know uh, uh sport card expo toronto.com is where you can go to find tickets and find out more information about the event anything else you want to say to it's going to be a great great experience and it's it's there's something there for everybody it truly is again part of the focus we've made is and and the other companies in the in the space uh, ebay uh, ultra pro upper deck have all really made a, a concerted effort to to be a, a a family kind of a business as well um upper deck has a kids free uh piece that they offer so kids under 12 are free with a with an adult i thought uh, you so, meant like a zone where kids aren't allowed it's kind of the <laughs> no, kids free zone <laughs> <laughs> another good idea actually uh so you know it, it's great from that some there's all kinds of great stage content yeah. with uh, guest q a's but then also live breaks there's more prizing and contesting and, and so on than we've ever had before so it really is that much more engaging and, and interactive so yeah it's gonna be great fun i won't sleep probably until monday but that's okay 
That's part of the deal. It means you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Uh, and I do hope that the next time you're giving an interview, uh, the story you tell is this one afternoon. I got to sit down with Brian and Mikey Aaronworth from the Sign Off <laughs> Podcast and record a whole podcast episode. But Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Very excited for this event, as all of you should be out there if you're listening as well. So for Steve Menzi, Brian Aaronworth, President of Frameworth Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, host of the Sign Off Podcast, this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadoo Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth, signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it.